becoming harder and harder to know who you can trust. It's becoming harder to understand and to see what the truth is. And I think that's one of the one of the goals of the enemy. He wants to confuse us. He doesn't want us to know the truth. He wants us to, to be separated from each other. He wants us to be confused about what is going on and what's happening in the world. And you, you trust, you really trust what comes out of Washington, D.C. Do you trust what the pharmaceutical companies tell you who have a motive that's driven by profit? And when they say something is safe, and when they say something will do what it's supposed to do, do you trust them? Do you trust the three letter uh, government agencies who are being funded by the very people that's supposed to watch them? Who do you trust? Major component of the degradation of our trust is the fact that institutions, the institutions of our society and our trust in society itself is that we are, we understand that there's this human depravity in we all. We're all sinful. We're all at the core of who we are. There's no one who is good. Only God is good. So we have this, this human depravity that's in us. This human depravity is common thread throughout Scripture talking about it. In fact, human, it is a response to the human depravity. The wickedness, the depravity of numerous pervasive, it's extreme, and at times it's incomprehensible. In the book of Romans, Paul talked about it in his time. He says in Romans 3.11, he says, No one understands. No one seeks for God. All turn aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not evil. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and mystery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God. And I think in every generation, we will be able to look at that and see that that is what is going on. Now, we also know from Scripture that God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'll be honest with you, I am not so strict with humanity changes either. We are unchanging in our nature. Since the fall, we've gone through these times where you see that things are going good, they're going well, and all of a sudden then you see the human depravity. If you study the time before the flood, you know that, you know, I mean, granted, the garden was beautiful, and it was great, and then Adam and Eve sinned, and they had to leave the garden, and they had to murder. And they seem to be going all right, and then all of a sudden we get to the story of Noah, and we see that the whole world is still in And God knows the story of the people, but only eight people survived. And you look out throughout history, any student history, you can see that throughout time we run into the same pattern, the same cycle that we keep going through, where we seem to be doing better. But the dog experiences its vomit. Our, our human pathway rears its ugly head again and again. And in our verses today that we're going to look at in Isaiah, he addresses the same thing that the Apostle Paul addressed in Romans. So again, showing us, yes, it's a continual cycle that we keep finding ourselves in the depravity 
of mankind. Now, I'm going to read Isaiah 59. I'm going to go all 21 verses. So I'm going to ask to stand as I read this. So beginning to do it again, got away from it, and do some more. Whenever I read the whole verse, especially the whole chapter or whatever we're doing, I have some stand. If you can, stand that's fine. Isaiah 59. So behold, the Lord's hand is not short, and it cannot that it cannot save. For it is here dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so that it does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue uttered wickedness. No one can pursue justly, no one goes to law honestly. They rely on men who please, they speak wide, and conceive mischief, they give birth to an They have average eggs, they leave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from one that is crushed, and viper is attached. Their webs will not serve as clothing, men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their worst works of iniquity, the deeds of violence are in their hand. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, desolation, and destruction are in their idols. The way to peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their path. They have made their roads crooked, no one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not take us. We hope for light, the whole darkness, the brightness of the walking moon. We grow for the wall like the blind. Like the blind, we grope like those who have no eyes who stumble at noon as the twilight among those who full vigor who are like dead men, who are we all growl like bears. So there'll be some light. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none of salvation that is far. For transgressions are multiplied as forty, and our sins testify against our transgressions are with us, and we know our transgressing is not in the world. Turning back and following our speaking oppression and reproach, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words, justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public square, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, but he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord's and it displeased him, and it was unjust. He saw that there was no man in wonder that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. He wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak, according to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries and aid to his enemies, so that those things he will render free peace. So, they shall fear the name of the Lord for the last and glory from the rising of the sun, for he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord brought, and a redeemer will come to Zion. For those in Jacob who serve the transgression, the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with me, said the Lord, my spirit that is upon me, and my word that I have put in your mouth, and not depart out of your mouth, or out of the mouth of the apostles, or out of the mouth of your children. Oh, children's are the Lord, in this time. So we can see ourselves in this time. Help us, help us to look forward to the hope that we have in only things. You see, there is a lot in here. I didn't want to just read a portion of it. And I didn't want, I wanted to get an idea of the immensity 
and, and the heaviness of, of the iniquity and the depravity of man. And, and, and we look at that and think, well, that's not us. But I, I've, I've watched the news. I've, I've been researching what's been going on in the world. This, again, is where we are. But I'll spend months with the end of it because of that hope. I, I never, I never convinced it. It doesn't give hope. Well, I shouldn't say because it is, there, there's one part of the study of yesterday when it came to the and according to Peter and Jude, being the angels who left their place, there's no forgiveness. But for us, there's always forgiveness if we would return. So we want to find ourselves in this is trials and struggles that are the mainstay of our fallen world. It's just, that's just the way life is. We can either hope ever harder to Christ. We, we, can, we can use him as our rock and our anchor. Or we can doubt the promises of Scripture. And we begin to blame God for our circumstance. Many times, like there are stories of people who have, who have what they call deconstructed their faith and reconstructed themselves into a, a, a lack of faith. Atheism or, or agnostic at best, and most is atheistic. But they always blame God for what the problems are. You see, at this time, and I say that, the Israelites saw trouble coming. They had been warned over and over and over again that this was going to be a problem. We need to turn back to God, or you will go into exile. And not only because the Babylonians are on their way, they are there. They saw it coming. They've been warned. I mean, I sure that many people wondered, what happened? Why, why did this happen? And is God just strong enough? Is God not able to, to save us? Is God not able to just, you know, I'm just created the world in the sixth day. Can't he just make this go away and make everything sunshine and moon? Really, brother? They probably thought that God had failed them. The prayers remained unanswered, and God seemed to be too weak to even come to their aid. Was he dead? Was he unable to do it? I'm sure that some of us have actually thought that, have actually thought, where are you, God? Why am I going through this? Why am I struggling? We have those same thoughts. We get ourselves into difficult situations, usually because of our own sin, our own foolish decisions that we make. And our own foolish ambitions and our own actions, or maybe we just find ourselves in this position because we live in the fallen world. It's just the way it is. And God allows us to happen because within us, within those times when we feel us, we grow. If, if, if we realize that we are, that there's nothing in us that can take care of it, and we put our full trust in God, but that's, that's those times that God allows us to go through those times. He started to say, listen. You can't do it. You need to do it. And we say, I can do this on my own. I got it. No. You need to do it. Some of those times where we feel stressed with me, maybe God doesn't hear us. Maybe God is, is not listening. Maybe, maybe I've done something to anger God and he doesn't care anymore. So we cry out to God. We ask for deliverance from our situation. But the problem is it still happens. It still occurs. We still go through the same things. And in the aftermath, we make some pretty strong accusations of God. 
Where were you, God, when I needed you? Are you too weak? Are you too tired? Too deaf? Are you to hear our, my prayers and come my aid? But what we know about God is the fact that there's nothing that he does, nothing that he does that hinders or lessens his abilities. There's nothing at all that can hinder the power of God. Last week we talked about the Sabbath. We talked about the importance of keeping the Sabbath. We told talked about the importance of gathering together and resting at times on the Sabbath. But not and God rested on the Sabbath, and it wasn't because he was tired. You know, he had worked six days. It's like, oh, I'm done, I'm I'm tired, I can't do anymore. No, he could have kept going for eternity. He rested because he wanted to show us the importance of taking time to rest in him. I, yesterday, I was outside working, and, and I worked on my, my woodshed. Um, I picked um, apples. I picked grapes. I did this. I did that. I, and, and I got to the point I was going to go inside and go can, do canning. And I, I mean, I was just like, I can't do it anymore. I'm done. See, in our humanness, we can't, we are not super people. We're not super mom, super dad. Well, I, I, in our kids' eyes, we want to be that. <laughs> but we're not. Sometimes we need rest. Sometimes we need to stop. But God doesn't need to. God never has to stop. See, the problem when we find ourselves in those situations where we are under trials and under tribulations, the problem is not God. The problem is us. And the problem is that sin that we hang on to so vehemently. We hang on to it and we don't won't let it go. Our sin deeply offends God. Our, our sins create this chasm, this huge distance between us and God. He still hears us. He still sees where we are. And he's still strong enough to come to our rescue. But what happens is our sins hide his face from us. And he doesn't hear our prayers. He doesn't hear our prayers. The very thought that our sins are creating the separation between us and God should make us tremble with grief and move us to repent. Our sins affect our prayer life, our intimacy with God, our relationships with each other. And many times those sins need to be called out. But as I've said in the last few weeks, we don't like our sins called out. But that's exactly what Isaiah is going to do. In verses 3 through 8, he begins to describe the sin and the injustice that's being perpetrated. And, and even though we're separated by thousands of years, the same thing still occurs today. Solomon was right. There's nothing new under the sun. He begins by telling them, your hands are stained with blood. This is, this is violence, murder, aggression, 
attacking the weak and the weaker of our, and our weaker neighbors. You think you start looking at the statistics today, and I didn't pull any, but because I think they're pretty depressing. You start looking at places where the crime rate has skyrocketed, where murders. Look at Chicago every weekend, multitudes of people are shot and many killed. There are, there are companies now that will no longer go into certain areas and open a store or have closed the stores in that area because, like, especially in California, you can steal up to $950 or something and the police won't prosecute you. So people are just going in in mobs and just raping the store. It's happening. Look at the news. It's happening. The news doesn't tell you it very often, but you've got to dig a little deeper. It's happening. Violence. Now, you might be thinking, well, I've never done that. I've never, I've never murdered. I've never, you know, been aggressive towards anybody. Well, maybe in the car when that person cuts me off, is not driving fast enough, then I'm maybe a little more aggressive than normal. But we know that Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, he says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool will be liable to the hell of fire. (laughs) Jesus sets that standard pretty high. We can have murder in our hearts and never spill blood, but it's still murder. He tells them that they're fingers. They have fingers of iniquity. We've created so many different ways to sin today. Look, what do you do with your fingers when you're sitting down at the computer? What are you writing? What websites are you going to? What comments are you making on social media? I've been I've been looking at social media a lot recently, and, and I've determined that if the more provocative you are, the more pe- they're going to send, the algorithm is going to send your information out to everybody. So the more you criticize people, the more nasty you are, the more likely you are to get more hits. Which actually, for you as the person, when you see how many hits you're getting on your social media account, it actually hit because you a hit of dopamine into your brain. It's a drug, and they know it. Fingers of iniquity. What are we doing with our hands? What are we? What are we reading? What are we watching? Then he goes on. Your lips have spoken lies. Lying probably had become the norm in Israel, as it has become the norm in many parts of our country today. Lying to each other, lying to themselves. Today it's all around us. You see politicians. You see politicians lying all the time. You see corporate leaders lying. Even leaders in the church lying. Our speech drips with lies. And the problem with lies is the fact that it's become so common to lie today that the very person lying believes the lie themselves. Now, I'm going to say something about our president. I believe our president lies. And I believe he believes every single one of those lies, especially when he starts telling stories about himself. I believe he believes every single thing. I believe he believes that he marched in uh, the... the, uh, the, uh, the rights marches in the 60s and 70s. He didn't. We have proof that he didn't. But I believe he thinks he does. 
That's how proliferant lies get. That's what happens when you lie. You begin to believe the lie yourself. And the worst thing we can do is lie to ourselves, especially when it comes to sin. Because we lie and say, it's not that bad. I'm not hurting anybody. I'll stop tomorrow, right? Lies. All lies. And guess where those lies come from? The father of lies, Satan himself. James chapter 3, this half-brother of Christ says that, that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on by fire of hell. Just, just watch when you talk to people and say something uh, say something negative. Say something that is downright mean, and you watch what it does to people. Watch what it does to children. Watch what it does to children when they hear you say it to your spouse. My children are old enough now. They, they know what happens when Beth and I get into discussion. And I'll be honest with you, I can let myself go to get away from myself. And when I say something, I'm like, Ugh. And I have to go apologize to my kids and explain to them that I, Daddy didn't mean to say that. Daddy was hurt. So. We have to understand that lies destroy. They are, it's a tongue, the tongue is fire. And it's set on, the tongue is set on by the fires of hell. The next thing he says is no one enters suit justly. People were going to court not to get justice, to, be get, to, to, to get revenge. They were trying to get revenge on people. They're not pleading their case with integrity. I, I've watched some court cases, and you know that they lie. You know that they're not telling the truth. They're just trying to win the case. And the same thing happens in our society today, but not just in the court of law, but in our everyday conversations. We want to be right. We want to be the one who has the answer. We embellish what we've done, what we say. We embellish what somebody did to us to get sympathy. I mean, this, and I know I'm talking about these things. It's like, man, that's, that's depressing that we are this way. But that's the way our society is. We gossip, we slander, when we should be lovingly confronting and restoring relationships. He says that you conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. We hatch these evil plans in order to get revenge. Like spinning a spider's web of deceit to make a profit or to attempt to hurt our enemies. But Jesus told us in Matthew 5, he says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Isaiah then goes into some very interesting allegories and some interesting metaphors here. He says their, their webs will not serve as clothes. He says that they, they weave these webs, but it won't clothe them. We attempt to clothe ourselves many times with self-righteousness, we, thinking that we're covering our wickedness, but God sees through that. We try to clothe ourselves with religion and morality. The Jews of in Isaiah's time were notoriously religious. They go through all of the processes, all of the rituals, everything. They, from the outside, they look like they were following God, but on the inside, they are whitewashed tombs. 
Actually, that's the outside. The inside, they are full of bones. Thousands upon thousands of sacrifices were performed. Laws put in place to keep them from breaking the laws of God. But while they may look good on the outside, they don't on the inside. So much so that it says, he says their feet run to evil. When I, when I read that, the first thing I thought of was, you know, think about the number of musicians in, in the entertainment industry and how people will run to get a concert ticket or go to these things or, you know, i got to watch this next show. i got to go see this next movie that is not good. There was an old, old term we used to use in computers was go, said garbage in, garbage out. If you type in garbage, you're going to get garbage out. So you always got to look when you're, when you're writing programs, you got to look at the program and see what you're putting into it. Because chances are, if you put garbage in it, you're not going to get what you need. We put garbage into us daily. Instead of turning from the path of unrighteousness and turning towards God, we run towards the very things that are separating us from God. Proverbs 11:27 says whoever diligently seeks God seeks good seeks favor but evil comes to him who searches for it. Well that's a pretty dreary perspective on our world today. It was a dreary very dreary for Isaiah. Same thing in Paul's time. But there's hope. In verses 9 through 15 we have Confession and acknowledgement. I mean, did you notice in verse 9, um, I didn't notice until I went back and looked at that, I, he switches from you, he's, he's saying you're doing these things, you're doing these things, and then he goes to we. He changes that pronoun. He shifts from those that are not truly seeking God to those who are redeemed among Israel and to the Gentiles who are going to find salvation through Jesus Christ. See, when we, when we find ourselves in these places where we are sinning, when we, find, when we look at ourselves, we, we don't deflect the blame from where it belongs. It belongs in our own laps. We have to acknowledge our weaknesses. I don't like acknowledging my weaknesses. I want to boast about my strengths, but we have to say we have to acknowledge our weaknesses. We, cannot, we must not deny, lessen, or deflect why we have fallen short. That's why Scripture tells us to confess your sins one to another. Don't ignore the sin in your life. Don't ignore it. Confess it. It's painful. I know. It's painful to say, I'm, I'm wrong. It's painful to say, I've done this wrong. It's painful to say, I'm sorry that I've said these things. But we must. We must be honest with ourselves and we must be honest with each other. We must begin with honest confession and a humbling pleading to God for mercy. See, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and Eve is tempted and Eve falls for the temptation, she gives the, ap- the apple. It's not, we don't know if it's an apple or not. She gives the fruit to, to, uh, to Adam and Adam eats it, and he sins. All of a sudden, they realize shame. And I think ever since then, we have tried to avoid shame. But you know what? Shame is actually a good thing, because shame shows us how we've fallen short and that we need somebody outside of ourselves to save us. I don't like shame. I avoid it whenever possible. 
But I think today we've avoided it for far too long. Because God, since I said we need somebody outside to save us, God's intervention, he's going to redeem us. In verses 16 through 19, we are so lost that God is the only one who can intervene. He must intervene. But the beauty of it is, is he never forces himself upon us. He could step in here to your life and he can make you do anything he wants you to do. But what would good would that be? He wants us to decide. He wants us to choose. So we must choose to repent and open ourselves up to his grace. Because without God's intervention, we're lost. And there's no redemption. God looks at us and says, there's no one who can save you except me. Only God can save us. No politician. No pastor. No, quote, righteous person. Why? Because there's no one who's righteous. There's no one but God who can save us. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God, according to Paul. And there are only two outcomes. Either salvation or vengeance. God's arm works both. We either receive righteousness of God that we don't deserve, or receive vengeance that we do deserve and we will receive. And the determining factor on which one we're going to get and which one we're going to experience is our repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says in the book of Romans, Romans 3. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested where? Apart from the law, which was always by works. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, which means a substitution by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. But just as a side note, it's Isaiah 59 that we're in today that Paul used to write about the armor of God in Ephesians. Putting on the full armor of God. So what's our response to this covenant and the covenant renewal. We are reminded in verse 19 that the righteousness of God and salvation that was made available through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was not just for the Jews. This is not only for Jews. It is also for us. It's for all those who believe. The Redeemer who was to come was Jesus Christ. It was by His blood that He, he has redeemed not only sinful Israel, but sinful Gentiles, us, the wickedness that was in us is gone. He's come. He's going to, he removes it. Many have not believed throughout history. And there's going to be many who will not believe into the future. But I believe the day is coming when there is going to be a huge revival amongst the Jews. And in the process also many Jew, Gentiles are going, be, going to become believers. But the covenant will be renewed and God will be with us. He's going to forgive our sins. 
And he's once again going to live amongst us. When he, was, when he created the Garden of Eden and he put Adam and Eve in it, he was there with them. It says he walked with them in the cool of the, morning, of the day. Okay? He was with them. And again, God will be with us. So what do we have to do? We have to repent. And we have to live lives of repentance. So what does that mean to live a life of repentance? That means every day you wake up and you say, Lord, I need you today. I cannot do this on my own. And when you're walking through the day and you find yourself stumbling and falling, because yes, we will. There's all of us, for all of us sin. We make mistakes, but God is gracious. And he picks us up and says, do it again. Keep going. But it's at those times we have to repent. We have to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And if we've hurt somebody, if we've offended somebody, we need to go to them and we need to apologize to them. Whether they deserve it or not, we must apologize. And if somebody wrongs us, we must forgive them. Not, and forgiveness is not for them. It's for you. I forgive them. We need to keep our eyes firmly planted on Christ. We need to walk in the Spirit. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit as He guides us throughout our days. We need to tame our tongue. Remember, it's a fire. (laughs) Don't be whitewashed tombs. Speak words that lift up and not those that tear down. Ask God to search your heart. Song we sang, first song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, so I can see you. Open them. Ask God to search your heart and see if there's any wicked way inside of you and to take it and repent and walk in the way of Christ. This is a call to a new way of life. This is a call to a way of life that's different than the world. The world will tell you something completely different than what the Bible will tell you and from what God tells you to live. We are, we are, we are counter-cultural people. We are people of a covenant that doesn't live by the world's standards. Turn from sin and turn to righteousness. And we do that with repentance. I'm afraid that repentance is not being preached enough. Sin is not being talked about. Hell has been ignored. In fact, there's a move to eliminate hell. To say there is no hell. But they've tried that in the past and it's always failed. We need to turn to Christ and live as Christ. Let's pray.